copyrighted program created by the Rio Grande Oil Company. Calling all cars, attention all cars, broadcast 119, regarding a series of thefts in the jet room at the Spiny Texas Ranch. Tonight's true crime story comes from Arizona, and at the same time comes confirmation of a new contract, based by the largest county in Arizona, Maricopa County. Justifying that for another year, all sheriff's cars, all emergency cars operated by the county, are to be powered exclusively with Rio Grande Crack gasoline. This is a striking endorsement of the superiority of Rio Grande. In other cities, such as Los Angeles, Oakland, Berkeley, they also specify Rio Grande Crack for all police cars because it operates so efficiently in city traffic conditions. It gives quicker stopping, faster acceleration, and creates greater power and speed than any other gasoline diesel is combined. But road conditions are entirely different in Maricopa County, Arizona, where sheriff's cars speed over an area of 9,000 square miles in pursuit of criminals and on official business, traveling mountainous roads, over scorching deserts, where temperatures often reach 130 degrees. Under these trying conditions, Rio Grande Crop gasoline shows its superiority. The patented exclusive Rio Grande Cropping process creates a gasoline with definite advantages over other brands. A gasoline which is more economical and more efficient than any other. A statement which is proved by the fact that more police and emergency cars specify Rio Grande Crop gasoline than any other brand. And now is our great pleasure to present former Captain M. Joe Mercer. Now, Detective Sergeant, in charge of the Gunco squad of the Phoenix, Arizona Police Department, and he will open our broadcast. Sergeant Murphy. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Chief C.M. Johnson, my superior, is prevented by his official duties from appearing on tonight's broadcast. So he has requested me to print up for him. It places me in a rather peculiar position, inasmuch as the story you are about to hear is one that I solved myself. There is nothing bloody or exciting about this case. No guns were fired and no lives were threatened. But then, a police officer's life is not always violent. Sometimes he is encountering cases which are downright amusing. And of all the cases on which I have worked during my 28 years as an officer, this story of the missing $100 nightgown here is amusing to me. I hope you will find it just as funny. One day early in the spring of 1913, Chief of Police A.J. Moore of Phoenix calls his eighth detective, Joe Murphy, into his office. Good morning, Joe. Oh, well, that's good to know. How much? 
Ten dollars a day and all expenses. Oh, and I still draw my regular pay there while I'm gone? Sure. <laughs> Say, I didn't first make a vow of leisure for ten dollars a day. I'll see you later, Chief. A few minutes before playing time, Detective Murphy reappears. He's laughing. Hi, sweetheart. Hello, sir. Well, the third you missed the train. No, 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 no. I won't miss my train. I'll do it all. I'll do it all right. Well, uh, here's your ticket. Hey, what's the matter with you? You work like you've been drinking. I have. What? <laughs> well, I just died. Are you crazy? No, 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 no. Listen, Steve, I got it all worked out. Now, listen carefully. I am Thomas Whitney Jr. You see, I'm the drunken gentleman serving there. I would have to take the bag to try to get over the habit. Hey, what is that? Uh, get over both habits. Both habits? Hey, sure. I, I take dope, too. Oh, you take dope, huh? Oh, no, no, I'm a bad one, see. I took the dope, too. Oh, well, I could get by. Well, what would I want to pull? You know, Tom, what's the demand? I was just a little about it. Now, you just wire it. I finally touched the dragon. I'll introduce you to Whistler. The doctor of me and I have to say, and I'll take care of the rest. A few hours later, Joe Murphy charges into the midst of the exclusive diners at Tiny Cactus Ranch. He hustled off the bed by the way to finish. Next day, Murphy... Still missing a hangover, visited by Mr. Denton, the manager of the ranch, and Dr. Dean, the house physician. Mr. Murphy. Yes, sir, Murphy, why, I have Towers Whitley, Julia, Towers Whitley, Alicia, Jeff Copeland, Cincinnati, Ohio. Yes. I know all about that, Mr. Murphy. I am Denton, the manager. Oh, you are the manager. Hi, boy. What would you say, Doctor? I don't have to make an examination to diagnose the teeth with alcoholic intoxication. Pack your things, Mr. Murphy. There's a train leaving for Phoenix in an hour, right? You are fired. How fired? I recruited Keith Moore to send me a detective, and he sent me a drunk. Listen, Mr. Letter, have you ever been arrested? No, of course not. Have you ever solved a murder case? No. Well, have you ever seen me inside of a jail? Well, of course not. You know, you're insinuating. Just say, so, it'd be a good thing for you to mind your business and I'll mind mine. Now, I've never managed the hotel. I don't intend to. I don't know the first thing about ice water and room services and schools and teachers. But I do know the police business. Now, you just keep your job out six of mine. You're impertinent as well as unreliable, Mr. Murphy. Anything I've done is built for a purpose. What's I using a half page to sign your name on the register last night? Oh, I admit it. First, I admit it. So just got objection. They all call you. That's what I intended to do. Now, let me alone, lad, to get the words out of this You do no work on this. You are going back to Phoenix. I'll pay you for your time, and you can get the next train. But don't think you've heard the last of me. Ah, shut up, shut up, listen to me, Mr. Bethel. You're going to be mad. Now, you hired me to come up here and $10 very expensive. Well, that isn't enough. My services will cost you twenty dollars a day. You're drunker than I thought. I'm getting sober every minute. You haven't heard the rest of this deal yet. 
I don't like that room you've given me, Mr. Cutton. We're going to move here. There's a bench suite on the right. There's a sort of a suite that Mr. Calvin's with me as quiet as Senator Street Strat is so pretty that I'm not sure. This is too I'm not sure yet, Mr. Benton. You keep me in this luxurious style for 10 days. During that time, I will not touch a single drop of liquor. And if at the end of the 10 days, I'll have a touch with your teeth, and I'll go back to Phoenix, and you don't know me as well. How about it? Two hundred dollars is cheap price for the reputation of your two grad. That's not one of them. I can't leave on a top of my back. Who's your work, Doctor? Seven dollars, Mr. Bertie. You're out. Well, you're a sensible man, Mr. Benton. Now, let's get out of here. Now, that's the whole story, tell you. All I know is that somebody's been stealing things from the guest rooms. Now, what is this story? Where did it occur? Come on, let's have it open. Yes, it began about two weeks ago. Mr. Potter was the first with her family to meet him. Well, what did he allow? A half dozen pair of silk stockings and an expensive kimono. Oh, Mr. Potter wears silk stockings and kimono, is that? Not Mr. Potter. Mrs. Potter wears them. Oh, oh, I see. Well, 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 I thought you'd really miss something. We are missing just $30,000 worth of valuables, of which Mr. Potter lost at least 5000 Still be sued by the guests, unless we reclaim them. Oh, that sounds more like it. You say Mr. Potter is the heaviest loser, huh? Uh, <clears throat> didn't you put me into a sweet next to uh, Why, the bridal suite is next to Mr. Potter. I'll tell you. So, okay. Now, shut up, shut up. I'm giving orders. You have my luggage both in the bridal suite. And tell Mr. Potter to get up there right away. I want to talk to you. How do you like these accommodations? <laughs> <laughs> it's your church's first furniture. Now all I need is the bride. Everything in your contract. Oh, that's too bad. Come in. Oh, 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 Mr. Potter, come in, please. Oh, Mr. Potter, I, I want you to meet Mr. Murphy. Mr. Murphy is a detective. How do you do? Oh, Mr. Potter, God know you. Mr. Murphy, is that you're surprised to by a robbery, Mr. Oh, well. Yeah. Uh, I hope I can count on your assistance, Mr. Potter. Oh, indeed. Uh, what can I do, sir? Well, in the first place, you wouldn't mind if I had the door unlocked between our streets, would you? Oh, no. You consider it necessary. Yes, I do. Uh, have you a car key, Mr. Benton? Yes, I do. Well, you might unlock that door between the streets there, for the street. Hey, uh, Mr. Potter, uh, uh, what have you lost from your room? Well, uh, I heard about the silk stockings in the Cremona. Uh, what else? Oh, my wife has lost a half dozen hundred dollar nightgowns. A hundred dollar nightgowns? You, you mean each nightgown costs a hundred dollars? Yes. Well, ah, that's fine. Oh, that's fine. Now, let's see. Let's see, if I was sitting in this room facing the door over the fireplace like that, Oh, uh, uh, the inspector would uh, pick up the door between the scoops, yes. Uh, Mr. Benson, will you place that door slightly ajar? Uh, 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 sorry, sorry. Uh, oh, I can see through the door to the mirror on the dressing table in the bedroom. And it looks like the entire living room. Uh, how clever, Mr. Martin. Yeah. So simple. 
takes out a wallet. It's just the money it contains, but he takes it. Crosses to the dressing table. Removes a bottle of expensive perfume. Takes a half dozen lace handkerchiefs from one of the drawers and glides out of the suite and unruffled you. Pippi picks up his magazine, chuckling to himself. It seems as a gorgeous and unimpeachable counterfeit. That night, Murphy takes his custom and dines with the rest of the guests in the ranch dining room. But he sits at the table to one side and eats very little, for his eyes are on the pompous grill, daily chatting with Dr. Jones, the house physician. Dinner over, the pair wander down the path leading to the moon drenched desert. Murphy saunters along, just far enough behind him, not to be noticed. A slow quarter mile from the ranch house, Murphy senses that he is being followed. Just off the path behind a grand cactus. Coming down the path behind him is a little man in a huge ten-gallon hat, carefully steering in all directions as he advances, gun drawn, steps by slow steps. When his shadow is addressed to Swar, Murphy suddenly steps into the path in front of him. Yeah, what's the big idea? Are you following me? Why, uh, well, say, uh, you better put that six-shooter away when I get hurt. Uh, what's it all about? Who are you? I'm the deputy here at the ranch. Oh, you're the deputy, huh? Oh. Say, Trent, I heard of you. What are you probably have? Well, uh, what are you following me around for? Well, to tell the truth, you're under suspicion. This is speaking of what? We've been missing things around the ranch, and the boss told me to keep my eyes open for suspicious persons. And you sure look like a suspicious person to me. Hmm. You know, you're wasting your time as a deputy out here. You ought to go to Washington and join the secret service. Well, I'm studying for that. Oh, you're studying for that. It'd be nice when you get your diploma, won't it? Yeah, kind of. Well, uh, what do you do around here when there isn't any deputy to be done? Oh, I wrangle dudes for the boss in the daytime. And uh, following around with uh, nice little drum gun, eh? Oh, not all of them. Only up to you're under suspicion. Uh, well, listen, Jeff. Uh, as long as you're picking up on suspicious things, uh, take a look down there in the wash and see if that doesn't arouse your suspicions. Huh? Well, let me run for a maverick if it ain't a doctor in a counter. Yeah. Looks to me like he's kissing us. Yeah, that's what they tell us where I come from, too. So, ain't that a pretty sight? Uh, <laughs> I can see you only work lovely detail up here. Uh, you don't seem to be interested in the duties of the vice squad. Uh, come on, I'll walk back to that house with you. All right. I don't think we ought to interrupt the doctor and the counters, do you? No, I don't think the counters will steal anything tonight. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, nothing, sure, that's nothing. Detective Murphy, usually enjoying his private little joke, next morning instructs Mr. Carroll to place some marked money in his silk hole and leave it once more in the desk drawer. And it is sure to drop a remark within the county hearing that he had forgotten. Towards the past noon, Murphy once more hears the door of the cottage she's open, looks up, sees the countess in the mirror. She takes the money plant from the wallet in the desk. Helps us up with a dozen pairs of silk stockings and a silver ashtray. As he's about to leave the street, Murphy jumps to his own door, opens it as he's passing. Oh, I, uh, I beg your pardon, did you not? What? Oh, I thought I heard someone in us. Oh, no, you must have been mistaken. Oh, 
I'll lie down and have a drink. I beg your pardon. <laughs> okay, you can do no wrong when you say that, Jack. I guess that doesn't include the counter. Hello, uh, that's Mr. Benson and Dr. Jones. Come up with you. <laughs> this is going to be good. Mr. Benson, Dr. James, 
But if it was counterfeit, I wouldn't be stuck with it. Lorraine Frazier, alias the Thomas Taylor, was the first place to cut them in. If she couldn't resist the impulse to steal, the law would have put her in prison for gambling as a prison offense. But in view of the fact that we recovered everything, she had stolen, aggregating more than $35,000, upon recommendations of Mr. Benton and Mr. Potter, the girl was released on probation to her parents and returned to Columbus, Ohio. Shortly thereafter, she married, but two years later, during the winter, she died with the flu. Thank you, Sergeant Murphy. Ladies and gentlemen, we especially ask that every listener to tonight's program call upon the nearest Rio Grande class gasoline dealer and ask for a free copy of the Calling All Cars News. The new March issue is double-sized, full of extra movie and crime stories, and it tells all about the true crimes to be broadcast on future radio programs. Of special interest to every boy and girl are the many new free gifts illustrated in the Calling All Cars News. Magic police pictures, a G-gun, a detective microscope, and a complete detective outfit of many items, all given free to users of Rio Grande Crack Japanese. You will also find at every Rio Grande dealers a stock of Sinclair motor oils in cans. There is something unusual about these oils. They contain no paraffin wax, and all petroleum jelly has been extracted. This means that there is no waste bulk or filler as you get in other oils. It is this useless, jelly-like material that stiffens in cold weather and thins out in hot weather, or at high speed until your motor gets very little lubrication. It costs you no more to get thin, fair, tanned oils, only 25 cents a quart for opening and 30 cents a quart for central vending. And you get only pure, concentrated oil that's guaranteed to lubricate perfectly at highest or lowest operating temperatures. Thin, clear motor oils owe their success like Rio Grande Crash Gasoline to a policy of greater value at the same price. These police calling all cars, sending all cars, translation broadcast 119 regarding the theft of the final chapter's rank. The special case now in session. That's all. and produced by William N. Wilson. This is your narrator, Frederick Lindsley, giving you good night for the Rio Grande Oil Company.